weeks. And uh, if you're new to the Bible at all, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the beginning of the New Testament. And the, the Gospels are the stories, the stories of Jesus. The book of Acts is the story of the church. Now, a quick refresher. Tell me who wrote the book of Acts again. Alright, so is it Luke or is it Paul? It is, it is in fact Luke. Okay, God, you're right, God wrote, God is always the right answer when it comes to these kinds of questions. God wrote the book of, of Acts, we know that, but Luke was inspired by God to write the book of Acts. Um, now, someone said Paul. Um, today is actually the story about Paul. And so Paul gets saved in Acts chapter 9. So, the chances are he didn't write chapters 1 through 8, okay? So, just so you know. But uh, Paul gets saved today. Um, his name is Saul before he becomes Paul. And I'll just warn you, um, I'm going to probably call him both today, so just be ready for that. I'm sure many of you probably didn't even know he even had a name before he was Paul. You probably thought of him as just as Paul and that's it. Um, but his name was Saul before he became a believer in Christ. And just to catch up where we've been the last few weeks, we have been in the book of Acts, obviously. We've been, uh, uh, it's, it's a pretty amazing story how the church began, how the Holy Spirit did things that were, were, that were miraculous in the early church. Um, things went really well at the beginning. There were, the church went from 120 people to 3,000 to 5,000 very quickly. And then people started dying. Stephen, in Acts chapter 6 through 8, was the first man to give his life for Jesus Christ. And when he gave his life for Jesus Christ, the Bible also says that a man named Saul was right there giving approval to his death. This is the man that we know as Paul. Saul, or Paul, I'll just call him Paul, just so you all don't get confused. You'd be like, Saul, isn't that like a king in the Old Testament or something like that? So I'll, just, I'll go with Paul to make it not confusing to you. So, so Paul is, is right there when, when Stephen is put to death through stoning. And the Bible says that he was there giving approval to Stephen's death. So the first martyr is killed for Jesus Christ. And Paul is right there giving a thumbs up to the first person killed for their faith. Now, at this point, once Stephen was killed, there was a great persecution that broke out against the church. Others were thrown in prison. Others were then killed. Um, The people persecuting the church, they thought, if you look at the gospel, like fire. The persecutors thought that persecution would be like water to fire, but it was in fact more like gasoline. The more they tried to do to stop the spread of the gospel, the more it spread, the quicker it spread. So Saul was the leader of this persecution against the church. Now, uh, look at Acts chapter 9, verses 1. We're going to start there. And Acts chapter 9, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest. Now, what, what Paul would do is he would go to the high priest in Jerusalem, and he would ask for a request to have the authority to go arrest people that are converting from Judaism to Christianity. And he would go and arrest them, bring them to Jerusalem, have them tried before a religious court, and then possibly executed or thrown into prison. That was Paul's mission. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which was to follow Christ, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. 
As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now your first question at your tables, do questions one through three, but your first question at your tables, first one is, what famous person today would you be most surprised to see become a Christian and why? Because that kind of person is exactly who... Paul was to the to the people that were Christians in that day. Go ahead and discuss. Okay, I know you guys would like the first question, so tell me who is someone today that you would be surprised if they became a Christian? Charlie Sheen. Okay. Charlie Sheen. I feel guilty for laughing when you said his name. I apologize. But who is someone else that you would be surprised to see become a Christian? What's that? Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. I just think that her name sounds funny. It's like a baby sound. Yes. Lil Wayne. He's right over here, actually, little Wayne over here. So, right next to little Kim over here. Um, that joke never gets old, by the way. Who else? Yes. It would be difficult for him to become a Christian now. Yes, yes. Osama bin Laden, yes. But you do raise his name, so I will go that direction. Listen to this. We, Rob Bell. Amen, sister. <laughs> Stephen King. Okay. Um, someone mentioned Osama bin Laden. I'll, I'll talk about him briefly. Uh, think about, it's hard for us to think of this, but essentially, in the early church, to the early church, Paul was essentially a terrorist. He was. He was someone that, that terrorized the early church. They lived in fear of him in the same way that many of us have lived in fear for the last 10 years. I went to um, New York City just a few months after 9-11 and saw the gaping hole in the ground. Um, I stayed in a hotel that joined the two towers just a year before this 9-11 actually happened. That hotel no longer exists. And so just being in the city, you felt a fear. Even though it had been several months since 9-11 had taken place, there was a fear that encompassed almost everyone who was there and people like me that came to visit New York City. And that same kind of fear also was encompassing the early church because Paul was going around arresting people, dragging people off to prison, having some people put to death. The Bible says that he was there when Stephen was put to death, and he gave a thumbs up to Stephen's death. The text also says that he arrested men and women. Now, just picture this for a moment. Someone comes to know Christ, they choose to follow Christ, 
he, he would drag off, he would go to someone's home, a woman or a couple, and, and he would go to her house, he would knock on the door or barge in, tie up her hands and take her away to the chief priest to be tried, to possibly be executed. Just picture that scene for a moment. Kids, grabbing on, her own children, grabbing onto her legs, screaming, not knowing if they'll ever see her again. And Paul would drag off men and women to be tried and possibly executed in the, Rome, in the uh, Jewish religious court. I, imagine, your, today's Mother's Day. Imagine you're at, you're at home having your nice, quiet Mother's Day lunch. Someone comes and knocks on the door. There's a couple of cops standing there. There's a guy who looks, he's in a, in a suit, looks really official, flashes a badge. He comes in, he takes your mom, puts her in handcuffs, he takes her in the police car, takes her downtown, and you're sitting there wondering, am I ever going to see her again? That is what happened to many of the families that Paul would barge into their homes and haul them off to prison, men and women, possibly to their death. Paul was essentially a terrorist to the early church. They lived in fear of him. Constant fear. And you'll see as this plays out how real this fear was. In verses, uh, in verse 2 it says he went to Damascus. Damascus is 150 miles away from Jerusalem. So look how, look how far out of the way Paul had to go to do his persecution. In that day, of course, there was no way to go except donkey or you're going to walk. Most would just walk. Is there much that you would walk 150 miles for? Just think about, what would you walk that far for? Not much, right? But Paul would do this just to persecute Christians. Uh, In our culture today, there's a big movement. I I don't get this whole thing, but there's a big movement with marathons. Anybody here run a marathon before? You guys aren't at the age where you have to prove that yet. Uh, That's more like 35 and older. Um... It's when you feel like you need to prove something again, so you start running marathons or training for marathons. Although one of my interns did run one recently, Ryan. Uh, he ran a marathon recently, so kudos to him. But there is not much that I would run 26 miles for, let alone walk 154. But But you see in this, with just the distance alone, you see how committed Paul was to persecuting the church because he would go to great lengths to persecute the church of Jesus Christ. All the way to Damascus. In verses 3 through 5 it says, Jesus asked the question, he says, Why do you persecute me? What he means by that is that to persecute Christians is to persecute Jesus, because we are his people. You cannot separate Jesus from his church because we are his bride. And so whenever Christians are being persecuted, Jesus is being persecuted. They are connected. And so think about that next time you get mad at someone for scoffing at your faith. And you take it personally because they are essentially rejecting Jesus. Not rejecting you. It might feel rejection to you and you should, you should be saddened and grieved by them rejecting Christ. But you should not take it personally and get personally defensive because they are essentially rejecting Christ when they scoff at you and persecute you for your faith. They're rejecting, they're persecuting Christ. In, uh, in verse 5, it says, uh, Jesus says, Paul, why do you persecute me? 
in, later on in Acts chapter 26, verse 14, Paul would then add the words. He says that Jesus said to him, Why do you persecute me and kick against the goads? And you're wondering, what is a goad? It's a goat with a D on the end. That's how you spell the word. But here's, here's what that word means, goad. They would, they would attach spikes to the back end of an ox cart. They would use oxen to haul cart a lot of the time to haul produce. And the person who was uh, driving the cart would often just kind of lightly, we don't want to upset any animal lovers here, lightly tap the shoulders of the ox with a whip. Okay? Lightly tap. And uh, to make the ox go, because oxen are stubborn, kind of like us. And, uh, and so they would whip the ox, try to make him go. And the ox would sometimes get so stubborn, they'd begin to kick the ox cart in rebellion against this master. So what they would do is they would put these things called goads, spikes. I'm sure they were dull for you animal lovers. These spikes on the back end of the ox cart, so that when they would kick the goads, it would hurt themselves and they'd get moving as to the ox cart. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying that Jesus said to him, why do you kick against the goads? He is saying, essentially, that when you resist me, when you resist the Holy Spirit, my pursuit of you for salvation, you are essentially kicking against the goads. You are hurting yourself in your rejection of the gospel. And the same is true for us as well. If you're here right now and you're not a believer in Christ yet, you're not following Christ yet, and you are resisting Christ, you are also kicking against the goads. You are essentially hurting yourself by rejecting Jesus Christ. By resisting the Holy Spirit, you are kicking and resisting against God. And if you were honest about it, you would acknowledge that your life shows that you are hurting yourself in the midst of that. If you were honest, you, you would you have to admit that your life shows that you're only hurting yourself in your resistance against Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So this is a very vivid picture of what happens when someone is resisting God. And, and Jesus says to them, why are you resisting me? You're only hurting yourself as you resist me, as you resist the gospel. In verse 9, it says that Paul did not eat for three days. I mean, imagine this. You're walking in confidence with your posse to Damascus to imprison and possibly execute Christians. And all of a sudden you get struck with this encounter with Christ and you're blinded, physically blinded. You go from utter extreme confidence to utter extreme humility. I cannot imagine a more humiliating, humbling experience than to be blind, right? I mean, you're completely helpless. It says here that he was led by his hand into Damascus by the men that were with him. So Paul goes from all this bravado, all this confidence, to this man that has to be led around by his hand like a child. What a contrast. What a contrast. So it says he could not eat for three Days. Imagine the intensity of the emotion as he was, was encountering, coming to realization of, of what he had just done to the church. It says he could not eat, he couldn't, couldn't drink because of all of this emotional turmoil. So Saul is on his way to arrest Christians and it says 
Basically, he gets arrested by Jesus. He is on his way to barge into the homes of Christians and arrest them, and Jesus Christ barges into his life and arrests him. If this passage shows us anything, it says this, that God can change whoever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. Is there someone that you can think of that you see as unreachable? Someone in your life that you see as they're so far gone, they're so lost, there's no way God can really reach them. They are beyond the reach of the Holy Spirit. That person would have been Paul to many of the people that knew him. There's no way God's ever going to save that guy. He's, he's done so much to hurt the church. First of all, why would God want to save him? Secondly, I don't think God can. I think he's beyond the reach of the Holy Spirit. Is there someone you can think of that you think of in those terms? Another question for you is, is that person yourself? Are you someone that you think of yourself as, I've done too much, there's no way God can redeem me, there's no way God can save me because I'm too far gone. The story of Paul says that you're wrong. That God can change anyone he wants, whoever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. Look at verse uh, 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. Verse 11, the Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So follow this. So just after Jesus changed Paul on the road to Damascus. He then goes to Damascus, Jesus does, and he then appears to this man named Ananias, who's not the same Ananias that was killed in chapter 5, by the way. It's not the same guy, different guy, same name. And he appears to Ananias and tells him, there's this man, Saul, who's going to come to you, or that you need to go find. And here's where he's going to be. And then he tells him, that he, he, he tells Ananias, By the way, so that Saul knows you're coming, I gave him a vision of you coming to him and healing him of his blindness, so he knows that you're going to be the one doing that. So Jesus is staying really busy here. Okay, So look at verse 12. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man, meaning Saul, and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Go ahead and answer questions four and five at your tables. Okay, I want to make sure we have time for our last questions at the end. So we're going to 
move forward. You see in this passage that everyone, everyone knew who Paul was. Everyone knew who Saul was. That from Jerusalem to Damascus, 150 miles, everyone knew who this guy was. And they knew that he was known for persecuting the church. They lived in fear of him. So word spread quickly. This guy, Ananias, knew who this guy was. In verse 18, we see that, uh, that God healed Paul, Saul, of his blindness. Now here's why Saul was blind. Here's why I think God struck him with blindness. God struck him with blindness, physical blindness, to show him his spiritual blindness. God struck him with physical, literal blindness to show him that his heart was blind towards Christ. Anytime there's a miracle in the Bible, you have to ask yourself the question, okay, why is this miracle here? Is God just doing a trick, just to do a trick, or does it have meaning to it? What's God trying to communicate by doing this miracle? In this miracle, as the literal scales fell off of his physical eyes, it was symbolic of God setting him free from spiritual blindness. It was symbolic of God removing the scales from his heart so he could fully see Christ for who he was, that he is the Messiah, that he is indeed the one that Paul is persecuting, not just the people who are following Jesus. Can you imagine for a moment how terrifying it would be for you? Just think for a second how terrifying it would be for you to lose your your sight. I would say out of all the senses that you have, even taste, your, your smell, everything that you have, that your sight would be the most frightening one to lose. Would you not agree? I mean, how many of you guys would rather, would rather lose your hearing? Anybody? You would. But you guys have kids, so we understand, you know. But I would, most would rather lose anything else but their sight. So imagine this situation. Listen up. Imagine the situation here. Saul has been stricken with blindness. Listen up. Saul's been stricken with blindness. He's been living a life of persecution, right? So you've been on the offensive. You've been someone who has gone after people, possibly executed people himself. Now all of a sudden he's blind. Wouldn't you be a little paranoid? Would you not? Wouldn't you be like, is somebody going to jump me? Right? You hear a door creak open and you're like, oh, who's there? Right? Like you just, you're freaking out. You're, you're walking in fear and paranoia, not sure if you're going to get your sight back. Then after three days, Jesus heals him. Jesus heals him. And that was a vivid picture of what Jesus does to his heart. He sets him free from spiritual blindness. I'm going to summarize the last part of the chapter. We'll move on to some questions here at the end. But basically, after this situation, Paul... Get saved, he preaches the gospel in Damascus to people that don't believe it's real. They think he's like going undercover, like a CIA agent. Like he's going to be, I'm going to pretend to be a Christian, I'll go undercover, I'll get to know more Christians so I can kill them all. That's what they think he's trying to do here. He preaches the gospel in Damascus, everyone's freaked out by it. The Jews then try to kill him because he has now been a traitor to them. At one point, Saul is lowered in a basket through the city wall to get away from Damascus. He then goes to Jerusalem after a three-year time gap, goes to Jerusalem. Everyone's freaked out again in Jerusalem, saying, Isn't this the guy who killed and persecuted Christians? Isn't this the guy? And now he's saying he's one of us. I'm not buying it. I'm not going to buy into that. So once again, people freak out, and the Jews again try to kill him. 
Saul then escapes to his hometown, which is called Tarsus. Now, just think for a moment with me. If you're one of those Christians in Damascus, or one of those Christians in Jerusalem, and this guy walks in to your meeting place and he says, I'm one of you now. I'm a Christian now. Do you not think there might be someone in that room who had been arrested by Paul? Do you not think there might be someone in that room that's mother or father had been killed, executed as a result of him arresting them? I mean, can you say awkward, right? A little awkward. This guy coming into your meeting place and you have all this baggage with this guy thinking that he is the one who persecuted your family and possibly got your mom and dad killed. So the Christians in those churches had two major hurdles. They had the hurdle of fear and they had the hurdle of forgiveness when it came to bringing Paul into their midst and forgiving him for what he had done to their church. You know, I was thinking about this whole story of Saul this week and just praying through the scriptures and, and thinking of how we, I want to present it to you guys. And um, I was reminded of all the verses that we know that are attributed to Paul. Paul wrote Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. The list goes on in the New Testament. Most of the verses in the New Testament that you look at as coffee cup verses or t-shirt verses, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. The verses that you think of as the popular verses of the New Testament were written by Paul. Now what's crazy about that is as Paul was writing these verses, I wonder if he really thought about himself as he wrote these verses. One verse that stuck out to me was in 1 Corinthians 6. Go ahead and put that on the screen. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And Paul lists off a bunch of sins. And he says, there's this sin and this sin and this sin. He lists off a laundry list of sins. Then he says these profound words. He says, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And I can't help but wonder, as he wrote those words, writing into the church in Corinth, was he also thinking about himself? This is who I was. This is who I used to be. The reason why Saul got a new name later on in the book of Acts, the name Paul instead of Saul, was because it was symbolic of his changed identity. And that is, that is what happens to us as Christians. When you come to know Christ as your Savior, He changes your identity. That is what you were. That is no longer who you are. That is no longer your identity. And so Paul's message to the Corinthians was, you are no longer who you used to be. And I think he wasn't just talking about them, he's talking about himself. He can say, I speak from experience. I have a new, changed identity. And what I want you guys to get from this whole story of Paul is this. Is that God uses our story to reach people with a similar story. God sometimes uses our story to reach people with a similar story. There are people in this room that have lots of pain, have lots of things you've gone through, things God has brought you out of. And you might ask yourself the question, okay, what was God doing? Why did I have this happen in my life? There are people in this room where you have family members that are 
in prison. You have people that you have lost to death or even to divorce. And you might ask yourself the question, why did God allow this to happen in my life? And I can't answer the why question. What I can help you answer is, what does God want, how does God want to use your story to help reach other people that have a similar story? Will you let God do that in your life? Go ahead and answer questions 6 and 7, then go ahead and close and pray at your tables.